This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Dora County Pulse podcast. My name is Deborah Fitzgerald, editor for the Peninsula Pulse, and my guest today in the Bailey's Harbor podcast studio is Sheriff Tammy Sternard. Welcome, Sheriff. Thank you, Deb, for having me. Sheriff Sternard was first elected to office in 2018. She ran for a second term in the November 8 election, uncontested as a Democrat, receiving 13,244 votes, which is 76% of all Dora County votes cast, which is pretty good. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So now she'll be our sheriff leading one of the county's largest departments for the next four years. Before we get started, I did want to express my condolences for uh, Deputy Mark Winkle. He passed away a couple of weeks ago, suddenly. And I was just astonished. He was only 59 years old. And apparently 36 of those years were spent with the sheriff's office. Thank you so much, Deb. It was a very difficult time for the department. But yes, Mark was a longstanding member. He actually retired in 2018. Oh, he did. Okay. And, and then quickly came back and started working part-time for us. So oh. he's been with us a total of 36 years, and he's, he's going to be greatly missed. Wow. And I, I saw some photos of the parade that you had of law enforcement officials. It looked like it was pretty long. Yeah, so all the public safety agencies in our area and then outside of our area came together and we honored Mark with a final procession. Okay. All right. So it's been a busy couple of days because of the weather. Yes, it has. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, for people who aren't in Door County, who are listening outside of Door County, we did receive our first snowfall on Tuesday and it's been pretty much snowing every day since then and we have a little reprieve right now but lots of cars and ditches eh yeah yesterday we, we had a lot of cars in the ditches and i think it's always that first snowfall um, people kind of got to get used to driving winter again but with that you know just take your time slow down give yourself extra time and if you end up going in the ditch you know stay in your vehicle if you can and call our dispatch center and we'll get a deputy there as soon as we can all right so where was your busiest spot around the county Probably the southern part. Oh, was? Okay. Yes. yes. Now, I heard that Fish Creek got five and a half inches of snow, and they had telephone poles down and trees down, Yeah, which I, is kind I, of odd. Yeah, I believe so. I, I don't know exactly how many, but they had, it was kind of spread throughout the entire county. So. Okay. All right. Well, winter is here. I guess that's the message that we take from that. So let's talk about, we'll go back to your first election that you won in 2018. Your Republican challenger was Pat McCarty. I wasn't here at that time, but I did look back at some of the coverage and you received a lot of good words after the election. Class and confidence is what I remembered most from those things that I read. But for keeping Pat McCarty as your chief deputy, who continues in that role today, so essentially he is the second in command, and he was your challenger and a Republican. Can you explain your rationale for that decision? Oh, certainly. Pat and I actually started in the department relatively at the same time. So I've known Pat my whole professional career. I I knew him from high school. Yes, we ran against each other, but my philosophy on that was there's things I bring to the table, there's strengths that he had, and if the roles were reversed, I would have wanted to be treated with respect and continue to utilize the skills that I bring to the table. I found no reason to not keep him in his role. Him and I had very good conversations. I have a lot of respect for him. As my chief deputy, I know whatever I ask of him, he will do, and he has a respect of people in the community. Obviously, It was nearly a 50-50 vote, right? So Mm. a person would take a look at that and say, at least half the community wanted him, half the community potentially wanted me. The best outcome is you get us both. Mm. And uh, we've worked really well together, and I can't thank him enough. I mean, him being the chief deputy, taking on the roles and responsibilities has truly helped me be a better sheriff. Okay. You went to high school together? No, I actually went to Southern Dory, went to Sturgeon Bay, but, you know, just through 
being a small community, we, we knew each other. So. Okay. So just a little aside then, you grew up in Door County. Yes, ma'am. In Southern Door. Yes. Okay. And you yep. still live in Southern Door. Correct. Yeah. I right. did live in the city of Sturgeon Bay for a while, uh, but then I did move back out to the country, which I love the peace and quiet of that. Yeah. So. That can't be beat. I, I am with you there. All right. So then the sheriff's position is partisan in Wisconsin, meaning you have to run as a Democrat or a Republican. It's not partisan in all states. It seems it would be more important in states like Arizona, for instance, where the parties are divided on issues that law enforcement has to enforce, like immigration. Do you think it's important in Wisconsin for the sheriff position to be partisan? I I think personally, right, in the role of the sheriff, similar to the judge or the district attorney, our job, first and foremost, is to apply the law fairly. So whether whichever side you believe, you know, which, whichever side you lean on, really you shouldn't let that affect your job. It's interesting, right, the sheriff is elected, and I understand there's certain aspects of that that are important. Your community has to trust you. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think the vote part comes in. Okay. But larger law enforcement agencies such as cities, they do appointed positions. Yeah. So I think there's pros and cons to both. But I think having the support of your community and the trust in this position of sheriff is important. So that's what we do here. So that's kind of what we do. Myself, I pride myself in kind of being, taking the thing in front of me, looking at it. I I really don't, not a political person. Mm -hmm. I just look at what's in front of me, apply the law, and then make the best decision that we possibly can with what we're dealing with. Okay. Um, I don't, I didn't find too much politics getting into the way of me being able to do my job as a sheriff. Okay. And it's interesting that you ran as a Democrat and Pat McCarty ran as a Republican. So you, in essence, have in the one in two positions, both parties represented. Yeah. And I think that goes to what I I said earlier. I mean, in my mind, it's, I think we bring different things to the table. And in my experience, Again, in general, have been at the sheriff's office 30 years. Mm. If you surround yourself with like thinkers, mm-hmm. you're going to get the same outcome. So mm-hmm. I enjoy being surrounded by people that maybe view things a little different and having that conversation to say, hey, look, here's how I view it or here's how I view it. And my experience is that gives us the best result in the end is being open and listening and and it works for us. So. We really keep the politics out of the sheriff's office. Okay. As as much as you possibly can, I imagine. As much as you can, yes. Yes. And the election, in terms of electing a sheriff, it sounds like that is a vote of confidence. I mean, that's how you see that part of it. Because it's not the same in all states. Some, like you said, are appointed. And in Rhode Island, I think the governor appoints the sheriffs, which is kind of interesting. But... So you think that the vote is really just a a vote of confidence from the people that you're serving? I I believe so, yeah, because I think it's important that, again, people trust their law enforcement agency and not just the agency, but most importantly, probably the leader, Mm. because if they're comfortable with the direction or not comfortable, it really kind of starts, everything starts at the top, right? So I think it is a kind of a vote of confidence and that's how I, I view it. I, mm-hmm. I see, the again, the pros and cons to both ways. Okay. So now your department is the second largest county department in terms of budget. Health and Human Services is $12.8 million for 2023. Your budget is $9.9 million. Now, the difference between the two, of course, is that you're not a revenue-generating department necessarily. So almost all of your budget comes from the property tax levy, whereas Health and Human Services, that's not the case, like maybe a quarter of it does. So can you describe how your department is configured, like this biggest department that county government has? What are its different, you know, different departments and how do you run it? Sure. So the sheriff is responsible to first run a county jail. So that is one unit that's within our department. And then obviously the other responsibility is to patrol the community. So that's our patrol division. We also have a investigative division, and then we have a reserve group, and then we have our admin staff. So 
the large amount of my budget is personnel related. Sure. And as you said, Deb, there's really not, we're not a revenue generating. Mm-hmm. And we are a larger uh, budget in the county, but we're also a 24-7, 365 agency, right? right. So obviously to make that happen, it does take the funds to do that. Sure. And that's always an interesting conversation on the county board floor. Whenever there are there are budget requests from departments that are revenue generating versus departments that aren't. And the, you know, they're always looking, well, can you make this up in some kind of, and, and you inevitably say in some fashion, we, we can't, this is not a revenue generator. You know, when we're patrolling the streets, we're not getting any revenue doing that. Correct. And, and the sheriff's office does have minimal uh, revenue. One of the areas is in our jail. Okay. So when we built our jail 2005, I yeah. think it was, we built it large enough to rent beds out to outside agencies. Because at that time, a lot of small jails were running short on space. Okay. So anybody that was going to build a jail built it larger to be able to rent the beds. Mm. So we do have um, beds that we rent, and we do make revenue off of that annually. And that's been kind of touch and go with COVID. Since, okay. since COVID, um, our rented beds are down. I think that has to do with probation and parole. Department of Corrections has changed kind of some of their hold requirements and things. Okay. Um, and then a lot of the counties that we did rent beds to, have now or are in the process of building their own facility, similar uh, to we rent beds to Kiwani County. Okay. Um, and obviously they're in, starting their building process now. So right. in that process. So again, some of the, the places that rented from us no longer, the need is no longer there. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of a crazy side story anyway, the Kiwani County jail. Didn't they start that 20 years ago or something and voters said no and now they're building the exact same thing that they said i don't know yeah it's kind of back and forth it's been yeah. back and forth so what there. percentage of the beds in the jail actually would be rented like do you reserve a certain number or is it just as they come up available as they come up okay. so there's a, a couple of different things like i said we can rent to another county such as kiwani sure we also do what they call sanction inmates and that's through the department of corrections program mm-hmm. um, most of those uh, inmates come out of the Brown County area okay, uh, and then are transported here and they spend their time with us while their, their uh, probation is being looked at or whatever. So mm-hmm. though I would say probably, I think year to date, I looked yesterday, we're at about 62 inmates annually. Okay. Pre-COVID, we were at 75. So that kind of gives oh, you a, a okay. kind of a feel for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say at any given time, we, we usually average about 20 rented beds out of that total. Okay. What is the capacity? Day. What is the total capacity? Uh, 143. 143. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're about half full Correct. most of the time. All most right. of the time, yes. Okay. So why did they build the jail so big then? Well, it actually was based up, right? So you get a study done and the projection was that, you know, like at this time we should have been at about 110 inmates Uh daily. Oh, interesting. So we just never got there. And I think, again, a lot of my background is from corrections. I was the jail lieutenant for years. Right. You were the jail lieutenant for like, I mean, you were in the jail for 25 years of your career. Correct. Correct. Yep. Okay. And back then that projection, you know, the numbers year over year were increasing, and I think everybody was kind of shocked that it didn't go the direction that the study had said. Yeah. But we have made up that revenue, you know, by making the beds rentable to outside agencies. But again, like I said, where everybody is building or looking at alternatives to incarceration, those types of things, which has greatly influenced the daily populations in many facilities. Okay. So maybe that's a good story. That could, yeah. I mean, that the, the jail population isn't getting as large as they thought it would be. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of different things that contribute to that. Again, Mm -hmm. in our county specifically, our number has stayed pretty, I think our number, the drop in our number came from the lack of bed rentals, not necessarily our inmates. Got it. But we do have a pretrial release program. Okay. So... I know if you if you follow corrections, right? So yeah. a lot of people will say people are incarcerated that shouldn't be incarcerated because they can't afford the bail and so sure. on and so forth, yep. their bond. So we have a pretrial release program that basically there's a screening done by the jail staff when they when they come in. If they're eligible, that goes up to the district attorney's office who reviews the outcome of that. It's based on a scale system. Okay. And then they use, the courts then use that, and they're the ones that determine how much bail money if there's requirements such as electronic monitoring, alcohol monitoring, so on and so forth. Okay. 
I think for the most part, that's been pretty successful. So that eliminates some people who would otherwise be populating the jail. Yeah, I, okay. be- I believe so. All right. Again, it's more of a gut gut feeling of mine than statistically. Yeah. I think statistically we're, we're, we're kind of sort of flat, but again, it comes from much of our population had to do with bed rentals, which we don't control why those people are here. Yeah, right. So another part, it, I do want to talk more about the jail and this may have, you know, some bearing on it, but there is a, a new program also. And when I say new, it's only a couple of years old. It's a, a drug court. That is correct. Yep. And so can you describe your role in that and how that may influence the jail population? So uh, Door County Treatment Court, mm-hmm. I sit on the advisory committee. I was part of the group that kind of came together to pull everything together that we needed. And then I actually sit on the treatment team. So what that means for me as a sheriff, we have treatment court every Monday. Okay. So the individuals that are involved, we meet prior to court, actual court, and then kind of do the case studies on everybody that's in the program and see what they need. How many right now are in the program? I believe we're at seven right now. Okay. And there's two newcomers, I believe. Um, But that number is, again, constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And then the treatment court itself is ran by Judge Weber. Okay. But the district attorney is on there, on the team, myself, Shannon Veal, who's a defense attorney. And then we have numerous health and human service members. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we have a overseer or an evaluator is Dr. Seifers. Seifers. So we all meet every week and we work through these problems. And I'm not saying that it's the end all to save all, that it's the works for everybody, but it seems to be working pretty well. Okay. Um, and it's a new program. So sure. it's not new. It's new to Door County, but not yes. new, right? So as, an, as a group, we've made some tweaks and we're constantly evaluating the screening tools that we're using and the, the methods, it's its all evidence-based. Mm-hmm. And I, I recall I was in Minnesota. Well, I was in Door County, then I went to Minnesota, and then I came back to Door County. And so in Minnesota, I covered counties that had a drug treatment court and had for years. And as as I understood it, and you can correct me if it's not the same here, but it, it really is intense oversight of the individual so that they get the support that they need to stay sober and to try and get their life in order as opposed to going to jail. That is correct. But so the the bottom line is it's they work very closely with the case managers from human services and then all the different providers in our community and outside Mm -hmm. with the end goal being that, yes, they have an addiction issue. But if it's untreated, here's the outcome. If we treat it, here's the possible outcome. Mm -hmm. And there's great success we've seen. We've also had some hurdles. But in the end, it really gives that person the opportunity for a different outcome mm-hmm. if they put in the work. Okay, We're there to help them. As far as being the sheriff, I really have a supportive role more so than, you know, I do not work daily with the participants. Okay. Getting back to things that are happening with your department, your budget for 2023 did increase almost 13%, and that's largely because you requested four additional patrol deputies and... I remember when you first uh, introduced that, I think it was September probably. Sounds Uh, right. Yeah, and it was very, very well received. I mean, it was not, there weren't, you know, a a ton of questions, but so you did get those deputies. Can you talk about the patrol division of your department and why those four deputies are necessary? Oh, certainly. So I know you were at at some of the meetings. So really, basically, when I first took over as sheriff, I met with our county administrator and the sheriff's department being one of the larger areas. We talked about a study. Mm -hmm. All the all the other largest uh, areas had had a study done already. So I agreed to that. So we had an outside firm come in. Oh, that's right. That was in 2020, that optimization study. Yes. Okay. that was done by McGrath consultants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they they looked at all of our data. They looked at all of our like our tax rolls, everything. I mean, we had so much information that we had given them. And then they put together a report and basically as I expected, and we all knew, we just didn't have enough people to cover the demand on law enforcement, specifically during our 
busy season. Okay. And the busy season is? My personal opinion? Yes. May to early November. Okay. As far as it relates to law enforcement, when I first was in the department, it was really like June and usually by September, you know. Okay. But. So it's longer. It's longer. The amount of people that come is much greater. Mm -hmm. The length of stay is greater. So you've noticed this just in, as, as the law enforcement unit for the county, you've noticed this. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think anybody could deny the fact that, I mean, if you live here, right, and you're trying to get anywhere on a Friday, right? right? I think that's probably one of the most common questions or calls I get is, can you do something about the traffic? Oh, right. you know? <laughs> um, and I always laugh, you know, and I appreciate it. Like I, I still, I need to get to the grocery store too. Yeah. So I, I get it. So I think the county board was very supportive of my request because they understand it. Sure. And again, I'm a very transparent as the sheriff. Like here's our data. Mm-hmm. This is not, I want these people just to have extra people. I mean, even with the four that we got, there's going to be times where the volume of people We just don't have enough. Mm -hmm. So I'm very appreciative that they approved it and that we can try to move forward. My hope is to have everybody on board, trained and ready. So when we enter our busy season, we have more boots on the ground, for lack of a better term. Okay. Now, the ratio, if you're looking at the number of people up here, how does that require additional deputies? If it increases, why do we need more deputies? So really more problems, more issues, right? So whether you're you're a resident, let's just keep it simple, right? So the simplest thing I can explain to people and they understand. So people that have an eye watch, right? They accidentally bump it, that's a 911 call. We have to follow up on those. Oh, that's right, those, yes. So now you quadruple the eye watches in the community. Yes. And that quadruples our calls, right? So it's really that, it is that. And the larger gatherings, the groups, right? There's more disturbances. We're a very peaceful community. Mm. I feel we're very safe. People are good. But things happen here. Yes. And the things, some of the things that we're seeing, not just from visitors, but from our own community is the types of calls, mental health, addiction-related Those take a lot of deputy time. They just do. Even processing an OWI arrest, things of that nature. It takes time to do those things. And if you go from call to call to call to call, that's when problems happen. So in our busy months, to be perfectly honest, you could ask any deputy. You really can't do anything proactive because they know they have to be be available to react. Okay. And I'm a firm believer in community policing. Being proactive is, is a huge part of that. And, I, you know, talking to from people all the way up north to down south, people want their deputies to be part of their community. Sure. What is community policing briefly? Like, like com- community policing is you're looking in my and this is my definition. It's not the textbook definition. But if you are going to make a better, safe community for people, you have to know your community. That okay. means you need to know who's working in the library. Right. You need to be able to stop in at the park and talk to the young people, those types of things. To me, that's at the core what community policing is. Mm-hmm. In a larger city, they may look at it differently. They'll take high crime areas and say, we're going to put community policing here. Mm-hmm. We don't have those issues. But so from my perspective, again, it's more about getting to know your community. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. And one of the things that you said that was really interesting when you were putting in your request for the four deputies is that if you don't get additional people, then they're just working overtime anyway. And that can't be a very safe thing for the deputies, for their health, for their safety, or for your budget. Correct. And I mean, in reality, it is probably cheaper to pay the overtime than to add the staff sometimes. Mm-hmm. But what the men and women in law enforcement see and deal with every day, it takes its toll. Yes. And, you know, as a sheriff, it's my responsibility to provide them 
a good work-life balance. And if I'm asking somebody to, to work overtime and overtime and they're missing this and they're missing that, in the end, you're going to end up with employees that don't want to be there. And I don't want that. You know, again, I've been here 30 years mm-hmm. and I don't care what role you're in, whether you're in the jail, whether you're an administrative assistant, whether you're a patrol person, the things you see and you deal with, it takes its toll and it's very cumulative, right? Mm-hmm. So it's important to me, officer wellness, myself and chief deputy, chief deputy really spearheaded when we talked about it, he grabbed a hold of the program. We wrote a grant. We have an officer wellness program for, oh. for our deputies now which the majority of the deputies, I think, are appreciative, and they've taken part of it in some way or another. What is that? So it allows them to have safe avenues when they're struggling with something. I see. It allows them to... Someone to to call, like some... Okay. Yep, and then we have an annual, what I call a check-in, with a mental health provider. It's all voluntary, and it's all... If the deputy doesn't want to do it, that's fine. So I don't know who does it or who doesn't do it. So it's anonymous. Anonymous. Okay. And then we have a peer support group within that that component, and that's made up of deputies and staff that have volunteered to step up. So if an officer is struggling with something, they can reach out. I, I think it's been really good for the for the department. And again, that's a new program, but we're really building on on it. Anywhere in law enforcement, you look, it's it's tough to be a law enforcement officer today. So whatever we can do as employers to make that better for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when people decide I'm retiring and I'm leaving, you know, for me, it's important that they don't leave us broken, right? Yes. Because of all the cumulative stress and so on and so forth. And and God bless, you know, all the deputies' families because they sacrifice a lot and a lot that people don't understand. And I'd be the first to say it. None of us, including myself, are perfect, right? Mm -hmm. There's things we've seen in our career have done or we wish we would have done different, but again, it's a cumulative thing. And just to ignore that, it does take its toll mm-hmm. uh, on you. So whatever we can do to try to make that better. Right. So earlier this year, Representative Joel Kitchens held a press conference to raise awareness of the challenges law enforcement faces. Some of those things that you were just talking about. I think it's interesting that you've been in law enforcement in Dora County for how long now? In January, it'll be 30 years. 30 years. Yep. So is it more difficult now than it's ever been? Oh, absolutely. I go back to my own experience when I applied. Uh, there was over 100 applicants for one one position. Now, I'll be lucky if I get four or five. Really? Why do you suppose that is? I think there's a lot of things that go to that, right? So, again, law enforcement is very wearing. It's a 24-7, 365 job. You miss a lot of holidays, special moments, time that you can't not always get back. And just the younger people just don't seem interested in it as much as they did before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was in 90... Six, maybe the state changed and made the requirement that you had to have 60 college credits Mm. and then to be a certified law enforcement officer. And I I understand why they did that because they they wanted to make it more of a profession and a career. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes, and I kind of figured that this would catch up with us at some point, and I think that's where we are. So some of the best deputies that I've worked with over the years. They didn't go to college to be a law enforcement officer. The one I can think of, his degree is in accounting. Oh, wow. Interesting. So we used to be able to hire people based on kind of who they are, what they stood for, kind of their work ethic and all that other stuff. And they've kind of taken that away now. And now we're seeing that coming back. So agencies are changing the way they're looking at hiring people. Okay. So the market at one point was so, there was so many people in the market that you could, as an employer, demand they have their college degree, that they've been to recruit school, and you just simply can't do that anymore. Hmm, so interesting. we've actually kind of went full circle, and we're, we're kind of back to almost where I, it was when I started. We went away from like a eligibility list. We have an open recruitment. Okay. So at any time, anybody can go, and they can go to the county website, and they can check out the job, and they can apply right then and there. And then monthly, my captain, the professional standards captain, he reviews everything, and then we will interview, like, within 30 days. Okay. Where that process used to be probably six months. Oh, 
All right. Interesting. So so you have applicants on a regular basis for when you have positions open and available. Correct. Correct. And you have not had an issue as of yet in terms of being able to fill those spots? Well, the, the positions I got approved for, I've been able to, with all the retirements that I had. Yeah, that's another thing, right? Retirements yep. are really because you said that there's not enough young people entering the profession. So people are retiring and the retirees are a larger group of people. Right. And there's been a mass exit and it's not unique to Dark County. In law enforcement, specifically, I know Wisconsin more than nationwide, but I would assume the numbers are similar. Mm -hmm. I mean, most deputies, depending on when they started their career, we can retire early, what we would call early, Mm -hmm. or eligible, in most cases, at the age of 50. So people are considering that. You're not seeing people work into their 60s anymore. Okay. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, sometimes it's their health. Sometimes it's, you know, they're just tired, right? Mm. And it's, again, it's that cumulative stress. So, again, I think the things we're trying to do for the new people coming aboard, hopefully over the length of their career, will change that outcome for them. But Mm. here locally, we lost 10 people to retirement. Oh, over what period of time? About 12 months. Oh, interesting. And it it totals almost 200 years of experience totaled. Uh. So a lot of the people that we're bringing in, they're young. They're fresh out of either their four-year degree or their two-year degree. So it takes a little longer, right? It takes them longer to learn our community, specifically if they're not from here. And it's just the challenge of life experience, right? Mm-hmm. And we've ha- we've had some success. We changed our program so we allow what they call lateral transfers. Okay. So if someone from an outside agency comes to us, we can match or try to get close to what they were making and some of their benefits. That's been helpful. But it's a struggle. And again, not just for law enforcement, I think all of public safety. Mm. We're actually hiring a we're holding a hiring event at the Justice Center December 7th. And oh, okay. Information about that is on our Facebook page. I mean, that's that's the Sheriff's Office, our telecommunications department, and then also EMS, Aaron at EMS. We're all in the same boat. Anything it seems like that is 24-7, 365. Okay. And Aaron is Aaron LeClaire. He's the director of the Emergency Services Department, and so he would be hiring ambulance Yep. Uh, paramedics. Correct. And okay. I, I believe the last time I spoke with him, he's got some a full-time opening and then some casual call. Okay. And then Dan Kane, who runs our dispatch center, telecommunicators, yes. they're really struggling, you know, getting people in and staying. That's kind of interesting because it seems like that's always the case in the counties that I've covered. Dispatch is a very difficult division to keep people employed. It is. And, and, and I'll tell you, as the sheriff, it all starts with them. They are Right. S- you know. You call in, that's who you speak with. Over my career, the dispatch center was under the sheriff, then it wasn't under the sheriff, then it was, then it, now it's not. And here nor there, for me as the sheriff, the group of people that work in there, they're part of the public safety family to me. Mm -hmm. Whether they work for me as the sheriff or not, it all starts with them. Right. You know, so we need good people there. And and I think oftentimes they get kind of forgotten a little bit because, you know, they're not out in the public, similar to our correctional people, right? Mm. But they're part of that larger picture and such an important part. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it really is a can be a very rewarding career. Mm. So our goal with our hiring event is to, hey, if you're thinking about one of these jobs, just come and, and see our presentation. Okay. We'll gladly answer any questions. We can give tours. So we're trying to do things, I guess, think outside of the box a little bit. Right. And that's appealing probably to the local workforce, too. Yeah. And that's, that's really my target, right? Yeah. They have housing already. They're already living here. That is a struggle as well. You know, bringing in new deputies, it's hard. They they can't afford to live here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I feel we pay a fair wage. Uh, Of course, that's a union contract and all that goes with that. But I I feel we we pay very well. The problem is they can't afford to live here. Mm -hmm. And if they have young children, they can't find daycare. Mm. So if it comes down to, am I going to pick Door County or I'm going to pick Brown County Sheriff? Unfortunately, they have to go where the opportunities are that they can afford Mm -hmm. and that's best for their family. Right. So they would have to really want to live here just for other reasons and make it work as opposed to, you know, just all things being equal, this wouldn't be equal. 
Correct. Yes. Right. right. Okay. How many patrol deputies do you have with the four that you'll be hiring? With the four, that unit will be 27 total. Okay. And so what kind of, you have 24-7 ships. Mm-hmm. So they are on patrol all the time. Do they patrol the entire county from bottom to top or are they separated? How does that work? So basically. Not to give anybody any tips. No, we won't. We won't, <laughs> give, we won't give any tips today. So we have three shifts. Okay. A day shift, an evening shift, and a, an overnight shift or midnight shift. So we take the 27 and they're divided up evenly. And basically the county is split into three sections, south, middle, north. And we joke about where does the north start? And where is the north line? It kind of depends on who you're talking to, right? (laughs) But at the end of the day, those three zones are always assigned to someone. And then the fourth person, if we're lucky enough to have them, if staffing allows, they can float both up and down. Okay. So they kind of go where the need is. And that generally is going to be the role of the supervisor of that shift. Okay. So with the new people, once we're fully staffed, the way we did our scheduling, we are going to be having more people working the busiest times based on our data. Okay. So when I say busiest times, generally speaking, 11 a.m., Till three a.m. Hmm. is kind of like where where our busy time is when people are up. Yeah, kind of yes. right. <laughs> so what we're trying to do with that that group of new people coming in is just really look at our data and make our decisions based on the data and the facts, mm-hmm. and not just lumping everybody on a particular shift. Okay. So we'll see how that goes. We're going to run that. You know, again, hopefully by June we'll have enough people in place to do that. By the end of 2023, we should have a pretty good idea how that's working. Okay. We may need to make some tweaks to that, but for the for the most part, it's usually one deputy per zone, and then the the, wow. middle, the middle one floats. That's crazy. I mean, considering how far Northern Door is, you know, Mid Door might be a little bit less geographically, but Southern Door and Northern Door certainly would have longer mileage to cover. Correct. And again, the more visitors, right? Yeah. The harder to get through traffic, the, you just all of those things. And again, the, the seriousness of the calls, mm-hmm. the, the types of things that we're seeing does affect how long that deputy is tied up with that call. Sure. So it's not uncommon to sometimes have to call deputies in early or deputies to call them back from just getting off to cover things like we did yesterday with the snowstorm. Yes. And I'm thankful for the, their willingness to do that. This year, our minimum staffing was three for the longest time. And describe what minimum staffing is, what that means. That's the minimum number of people that you absolutely can have on a shift at any time? That is correct. Who determines that? It's usually set by the sheriff or whoever okay. at the time. Okay. But I had, I had said at the beginning of this year, there is no way we can do this based on our data. So I ended up, uh, you know, we ended up using overtime. And during our busy month, May through the end of August or October, we ended up, I said minimum staffing is four. Okay. So that did require some deputies to work some overtime. But again, I think if you actually asked the deputies, they were, as much as they might not have wanted the overtime, they appreciated having that extra hands on deck to, to get the stuff done because... Again, we're just, it's so busy here. Mm. And, and I, you know, f- to me, my, my first and f- foremost responsibility is keeping the community safe, keeping the deputies safe. Whether you live here, whether you're a visitor, it's all equal, right? So mm-hmm. I don't get to control the amount of people I have. So my only control comes from really just taking a look at the data and not just demanding things, but explaining to people, here's why we're doing what we're doing. This is why we need to do this. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, I think people understand that. Okay. Do you actually look at data for the number of like motorists that are coming into Door County? Is there any data like that? Like the number of visitors or? Well, like the study did that. So like the, okay. the, the study basically looked at. they That broke, 2020 study. Got yep, it. Yep. And if anybody is ever interested in seeing it, um, they certainly can get hold of me and I can get them a copy. It's very, very interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, it breaks down the call volumes by municipality and so on and so forth. It gives a lot of good, very good information. Okay. Now this is from the Kiwani County Sheriff. So it's not on you, but Sheriff Matt Joski, 
I think he's still the sheriff. He Did is. He? Okay. He is. Yes. Well, this was in January of this year, and that was that press conference to raise awareness of the challenges of law enforcement that Representative Joel Kitchens had put together. And so Sheriff Joski said at that time, 30 years ago, you've got a degree, you've got certification, you've got a pulse, we're rocking. <laughs> Today, I don't care how many degrees you have in the wall. If you lack moral integrity, if you lack ethics, we can't use you. Now, it seems to me that that has been a lot more important because the issue has been raised. 2020, definitely, the murder of, of George Floyd, you know, the protests, the defunding of the police movement. I mean, that whole time was pretty, pretty difficult. Is that arising from that, that awareness of, of what happens within law enforcement? Or was it self-correcting? I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, I understand why people would question some of the things that law enforcement does, right? Mm -hmm. But I think, first and foremost, when I look at hiring a deputy, you have to be a good person. And similar to what Sheriff Jasky said, right? Like, yeah. you can have 20 degrees hanging on the wall, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you're going to be a good officer, right? right? How do you screen for that? How do you screen for ethics and moral integrity? So it, again, with our professional captains, we do a very thorough background check on people, right? Okay, so it's built into your process? Yep, it's built in. So there's different testings that they use to kind of kind of get what type of personality they have. Okay. You know, we check their references. And for me, it's the questions I ask on my one of the the last part of the hiring process is a one-on-one -on -one interview with myself. Okay. So I'm a, usually a pretty good judge of character, I believe, right? Okay. And again, like there isn't a person in any job that has said, we do our job 100% correct every time. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're going to bring somebody into your agency, you have to, as the leader, you have to know it's the right fit for your community. Mm -hmm. It's the right fit for your agency. And that person has to have that inner ability to self-correct and understand and know, like, I can look at it this way, I can look at it that way. What's the best, fairest way to deal with it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, knock on wood, I've been, I think, very fortunate to work with great people over the years. And I've selected some really great people. Mm -hmm. But I think it really comes down to who that individual is that you're hiring. I feel our background process, our interview, we do a panel interview. They get a psych test. There's all these things that are built in, mm -hmm. and that helps influence me and my decision, right? So, yeah. Are they tested? I mean, how, and I mean by that, you go through all of that, they're hired, but are they tested out on the street? You know, do you know that they're making or, or have, have the situations where they're making those decisions? Yeah, so when we make an offer, part of that is our training, our field training program. Okay. So depending on if the officer has experience or, or they're new, at the end of the day, they all go through the training program. Okay. So they have a seasoned deputy next to them working with them day in and day out throughout this training program. They get daily evaluations, daily corrections, daily instructions. I see. I get a weekly report from my patrol lieutenant saying, Here's where Bob is, and you know, here's what we're working on. This is what he's doing well, or she's doing well, and so on and so forth. So if we have a problem area that we see coming up, hopefully we catch that early and we, we address that. But okay. I have really good trainers as well, so I feel that they do a good job kind of making sure that people understand, new people coming in, this is our organization, this is how we operate these are our values and this is what we expect from you. Okay. So I wanted to return a little bit to the jail and sure. like with your experience in the jail, the latest data from the Wisconsin Department of Correction shows that 41% of the state's inmates have mental health issues. And that's in prisons, obviously. I don't know if it actually encompasses jails. There might be different data from jails. But can you talk about the mental health challenges in the county? I, I know that mental health crisis calls, which include suicides, suicide attempts, substance abuse and homelessness, you know, things like that. I know that those are on the rise, but can you speak to the prison population in Dora County or the jail population in Dora County? Is it that 41%? I would think it's pretty close, right? And again, for me, I've, I've spent a lot of my career in there and you see the progression of untreated mental health and how that affects one's ability to make good decisions, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm the first to say, you know, it's not illegal to be mentally ill, mm. but also 
we in our county, I think we do the best we can with the resources that we have. In a perfect world, I'd say we need more resources in that world of mental health. Again, generally when something happens, we're the first ones that are called and we're responding. Uh, I know communities have looked towards and are moving towards more of the that crisis type response yes. being done by a social worker level human service type person. Myself and Joe Kresbeck has had some of those conversations. And Joe Kresbeck is the director of health and human services. Yes, correct. And I think we're, we're, we're very similar thinking on that. We know that there is probably a better way to do that. We just got to figure out a, can we get the funding and how do we make that work in Door County? It's working in other communities. How many mental health crisis calls do you, we have here? Would you say as a percentage overall? I mean, we we get them usually weekly, right? So it's a lot of times it's the repeat situations because okay. we're a smaller community. But that number keeps rising year over year, right? So, uh-huh. and it depends on how you classify it in the system. Oh, so it could be like a disorderly, right? But the officer gets there and they they defuse the situation and it gets resolved. But we're not collecting again the data to say there's some sort of mental health issue here going, mm. right? So. The ones that are suicide attempts, self-harm, what we call welfare checks, Mm -hmm. those are pretty straightforward. But oftentimes, there's some element of mental health to many of the calls we do, to be perfectly honest, whether it's an addiction-related issue or under-medicating, over-medicating, those types of things. But law enforcement is always the first one to get called. Right. And I think there are better ways to respond to those. You know, when you hire a deputy... They're hired to do a certain job. You know, they're not And trained. not that job. Correct. And I'm not being, you know, disrespectful or mean, but they're not social workers. Right. And when you when you force the deputies to become that, right, and then you question sometimes the outcome, if you're, as a community, not willing to do what's best practice, you can't really blame the deputies. They are doing the best they can with what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. I will say we're very fortunate. Human Services, Sheriff's Office... We all have a good working relationship. So if we have issues, we can talk about them. Mm-hmm. My new position that I had gotten, uh, was it, which is Deputy Mark, um, Deputy Crisot. That's right. You got that last year, and that was a mental health and community engagement captain. Just a deputy. A but, deputy. Yep. Okay. So what his role is, is he's he's supposed to be there, out community outreach, right? So getting to know the people, building the relationships with human services, sitting in on treatment court touching base with people in the community before a situation becomes a crisis. Okay. So knowing essentially the people that you may be responding to a call for? Potentially, yes. Right. Okay. So because oftentimes what we'll get is, I don't want to say lack of better, frustrated family members of someone that has, is suffering from a mental health illness and they're, they're just, they don't know what to do, right? So now Chris is able to get out there, work with the family, kind of know Here's the individual. Here's what's going on. Okay. You know, and obviously with HIPAA and everything like that, there's protections in place, but it's helped the deputies be able to understand, I think, how to maybe deal with those situations better. Right. But I still think that a lot of the things we get called to, really, if there was someone trained in social work, mm-hmm. that that outcome may not even require law enforcement, right? So. We need to secure the scene to make sure everybody's safe, mm-hmm. but then we need to let people and have the right people available to do what they do. Okay. Well, listening to you talk, is there a fundamental difference really in law enforcement and social work that would prevent it from combining the two? Why couldn't it be a dual role? Why couldn't a law enforcement professional be a, a social worker as well? Again, kind of goes back to hiring, right? We, yeah. we we can't even find people that have just the interest in the one position. Okay, so trying to find somebody who has both of those qualities would be Correct. very difficult. Is there training now that includes the mental health aspects? Yeah, so crisis intervention training or okay. CIT training. Okay. Uh, Deputy Ott leads that. All new deputies attend either CIT or CIP training. Uh, CIT is specifically for patrol CIP is like correctionals and emergency response, like EMS and such like that. Mm -hmm. So it's part of their initial training program. Everybody gets that. And then our annual training, Chris gives, provides updates and stuff like that to the deputies. Okay. And it's really about de-escalation, right? The techniques. Mm -hmm. 
But again, I mean, if you talk to people in, if you know anybody in your world that's got a mental health issue, sometimes just the presence of who a doesn't, I would have right? to say, right? Sometimes just the present presence of a uniform doesn't, you know, doesn't set well with the person that you're uh, trying to to deescalate or, or whatever. So. There's great success. I know in uh, Brown County, mm-hmm. out of Gamey County's got great success. They got some really good programs. And we've started those conversations. Okay. I've kind of alluded to that, I think, it, with my oversight committee, that I think if you're asking me what we can do to make these things better, there are things that we can explore, but it's going to cost money, right? Okay. So, and I know Joe has made some changes at the human services to crisis. Mm-hmm. He's gotten two additional people that are basically on call mm. for the longest time with COVID and all that other stuff. Nobody was coming out, but mm. the deputies had to go out. Sure, I'm a firm believer of face-to-face evaluations versus a phone evaluation. It's I feel if the situation is if the situation is significant enough that somebody's called law enforcement. The law enforcement officer is there, the person's in front of them, and if he or she feels that somebody with a different background, a different specialty, needs to speak to them, I, I firmly believe that's our starting point. That's where we have to be better at that. Okay. And we, we've made great strides in that. And again, it's not pointing fingers, but I think whether you talk to somebody in the world of mental health or you talk to somebody in the world of law enforcement, we will all agree we need to do better, and we can do better, but it takes funding, it takes support, it takes teamwork and, and different agencies coming together in your community to get that done. Okay. Now, you've been in law enforcement, it's going to be three decades, only in the sheriff's role for four years so far. When you were looking in that position from the outside in, how is it different? Is it harder? What are your frustrations? I think my frustrations come from, I, I feel I'm a very transparent person, right? And I try to be, because I think it's important that the public knows. And I think oftentimes people see Door County as this picturesque, des- yeah. you know, tourist destination. And it is, it's beautiful. I was born and raised here. Mm-hmm. You know, I love where I live. I love having my law enforcement job here, but there are issues in Door County. And sometimes I think, People don't want those to come out because it's going to affect the other side of things sometimes. Uh, and I just think so. That, don't 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 show the blight in Disneyland. Yeah, I mean, in a certain way. I mean, yeah. I don't find that always, but in some circumstances, I think we have a great community, mm-hmm. and but there are needs that just are underserved sometimes. And I I, I look at my position as a sheriff. My responsibility is to speak up be respectful, and try to make a difference. Leave it a little better than you found it. So that's kind of what drives me on my decision-making, on what I'm going to talk about to my committees, you know, kind of where I'm going to use the resources and how I can support different things. Because we see that larger picture, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So right, wrong, or indifferent, that's, I guess, how I view it. Again, it's it's the community. Usually once the community understands the need, regardless of the need, people come together and there's so many great organizations that are working towards better things, right? Through all the different, from the northern to the southern part of the county, there's church groups, there's civic re- uh, organizations, there's people coming together, doing fundraising, trying to get things. And I'll, I'm pretty sure everybody, right, has somebody in their life that either has struggled with addiction or has struggled with mental health. And, you know, I think we have a responsibility to help support those people through whatever it is, right? The best of our ability. Okay. So now four years you have under your belt. Do you have a focus for the next four years? My next four years really, I guess, is A, is going to be that mental health response. Uh, I've been very transparent about that and what we can do, what we can do better. But again, it, it's that, in my mind, it's going to take work and it's going to take the right people coming to the table at the right time but I think we have the right people there and ready. We just got to get get going on it. But just like our positions, all the positions in the county, they're having a difficulty filling those positions. So we can create a position, we can get the funding, but if you can't fill it, mm-hmm. you know, so again, I think that's where it's going to take a real team effort to try to get that to happen. But that's one of my focuses. The other is probably succession planning. 
Oh. One thing, I mean, throughout my whole career, we maybe one person every couple of years retired or went to another agency. But in reality, myself, chief deputy, um, some of my lead uh, supervisors, we're at the tail end of our careers, right? Mm. We have a lot of new people. I want to, you know, focus some time on succession, making sure that people understand what we do, why we do it, and start getting them exposed to that because they are going to be our future. Right. And I think the sooner you start building that leadership, the better off you are as an organization, as a community. And again, just continuing to look at where we are and having the ability to adjust when needed. Well, I had so many questions and I haven't even gotten to all of them, but this is now getting pretty long. So I'm going, I'm going to ask you one final question, which is more of a, a personal thing. So you are the chief law enforcement officer in the county, which I learned actually in civics class. But And um, are you ever able to put that role aside and just be Tammy Sternard? It is difficult. Um, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what do you enjoy about your job? What was the most surprising thing? And for me, it you kind of sort of do lose your individual identity, right? Mm-hmm. So You're now the role. You're now right. the sheriff, no matter where you go. Yeah, and, it, and I know it's 100% done on a respect, right? But sure. if, if I'm at the grocery store, sheriff, good afternoon, how are you doing, right? It's like you, you somewhat lose that individual personality, you know, so you'll notice like when I do a post or I do whatever, I refer to myself as Sheriff Tammy because mm-hmm. I feel being personable with the people that are in your community is, is the best way. Because at the end of the day, I'm just like everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. There's things I enjoy doing that I don't do. There's things that, you know, I have children, you know, all of those things. It's law enforcement is the career that I have chosen, but... Tammy, the person can separate that, you know, the, the badge and the person, it, they do kind of the higher up you get in the organization, the, the more they become one. And I have, I look back, I have no regrets. I am so fortunate to have been given the opportunity to, to be the sheriff. If you would have asked me 35 years ago, do you think you would be a law enforcement officer? I would have, no way. There's no way, right? Really? I That's to, not where you started. No, I actually went to college uh, at NWTC for marketing. Oh. And for whatever reason, you know, I, I changed careers and I love it. I love what I do. Mm. I enjoy going to work. There's some things that are extremely stressful, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes the all the stuff that you are responsible for that people don't understand mm-hmm. can sometimes be frustrating because... You're trying to do the best you can do, mm. and you're still a person, right? So you have emotion, and I think um, with the passing of the two deputies in my first term, that was probably, as sheriff, probably the hardest thing I've had to deal with, to be honest. Oh. Because they weren't just deputies. They were my friends. Uh. You know, I grew up with them. They taught me. They, you know, we went to Christmas parties together. You golf together. You do whatever it is, you know, and they, they're also your friends, even though you're the sheriff, right? Mm-hmm. At some point, they're still your friends. So right. I think that, like I said, I think that looking back, I mean, I have zero regrets. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm glad that the majority of the community seems to think I'm doing a good job. That It is pretty substantial that you had nobody running against you and you still got 76% of the vote. I'm, you know, that's pretty good. And again, I, I'm proud to say that I'm the sheriff of Door County, you know, mm-hmm. and in talking to other sheriffs, you know, you're lucky, you're Door, you know, you're the Door County Sheriff. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody knows Door County when you say Door County. So, but I, I do have to end it with, and I truly mean it, like my success as the sheriff, 100% lies on the shoulders of the deputies that work with me every day. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have good people and I didn't have people that wanted to be there, and knew how important we are to the community, I would not be successful. And I think that's extremely important. And when when you see someone, a deputy on the street, and you say thank you to them, you have no idea what that means to them, especially at the time that we're in right now. So if you can do that, I appreciate that. And, and the support we get from our community is wonderful. All right. Well, thank a deputy when you see them. And if you're interested in a career in law enforcement, you have the career day on December 7th. And is that at the Justice Center? It is at the Justice Center. And if you want more information, you can contact Captain Water Street at the Sheriff's Office, and he can give that to you. We are asking 
if possible, if we can have people RSVP to Captain Water Street so we kind of know how many people to expect. Okay. But again, it's not specific to law enforcement. It's all areas of public safety. Sure. Is there a number that they can call? They can call 746-2400 and just ask for Captain Water Street. Okay, great. So hopefully there are a lot of listeners out there who still love their jobs 30 years after they started them. So it was great to have you on. We probably could have talked about a lot more. Well, I know I have a couple pages here of questions that I never got to, but thanks so much for stopping by and and taking the time to sit down to talk with us. This is Deborah Fitzgerald, and I was talking with Sheriff Tammy Sternard. You're listening to the Rock County Pulse podcast, and thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.